Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm John, one of the pastors here. Uh, so glad to have you once again. If it's your first time here with us, uh, we're, we're so glad that you're here. If there's anything that we can do uh, to help you out, please let us know. But above all else, um, we want you to know Jesus. So if there's questions that you have about him and what it means to follow him or live for him, we would love for you to especially ask us uh, those questions. So once again, we're glad to have you. We hope that you feel uh, at home here. One thing real quick before we get started, um, if you're a college student in here, would you raise your hand just so that we can see you? All right. Uh, we're glad to have you back. We know that a few of y'all just started uh, back school here this week. And so one of the things that we want to do as a church uh, is we want to feed you all today. Right. So um, well, I know college student. Um, so uh, if you're a part of the College Connect team, would you just stand up real quick so that they can get a sense of who you are, where they need to uh, go to? After church, if you'll find somebody with Zach, if you would just stay standing. Um, if you just find somebody that has a shirt uh, that looks like his, um, they'll be able to take you uh, to where we're going to have lunch. Uh, Tracy, uh, who's here at the church, she's going to host it at her home. I think she's going to host it at her home. All right, I looked at her, and she didn't have that face like she was going to host it. All right, why don't you all stand with me as we read from God's Word? We're back in the book of Proverbs for the last week. On your sheet, or on your seat, you should find um, a sheet here with our scriptures on it. And so we'll start in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 20. And it reads like this, my son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health for one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully, carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, your word gives us more than just uh, things that we need to do in order to uh, make right choices, Father, but your word, above all else, gives us a story of your son, the only one to make every wise choice and the reward that he got for that. He decided to forego it here in this life to give to us, Father. Would you make us those that are grateful for the work that your son has done so that we wouldn't just make the wise choice, but we would be completely transformed into the kind of people that make wise choices. We ask that you would do this for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And why don't you all take your seat? Your biggest problem is not always your most visible problem. Your best solution is not always the most obvious one, right? 
Sometimes a bad cough uh, can just be a bad cough. There's something lodged in your throat. But sometimes a bad cough can mean that cancer has moved into your lungs. Your biggest problems aren't always your most visible problems, and your best solutions aren't always the most obvious ones. We've talked for the past few months about the book of Proverbs, mainly what it is to make wise choices. We started this series with the aim of improving our lives, right? We've talked about this times where we come into church and um, at times we can spend so much time uh, focusing on the internal life that what we miss out is on practical wisdom on how to make everyday wise choices. One of the most consistent questions that you and I ask is what should I do about this, right? What should I do about uh, conflict in my marriage? What should I do about a sex life that's unfulfilling? What should I do about friendships that are shallow conflict that is always there, career choices that are uh, frustrating, dating prospects that are slim, goals that are non-existent, family that's annoying, anger that's boiling, debt that's enslaving, injustice that's ever-present, What should I do about all of these things? And um, we've talked about the the fact that good character doesn't necessarily protect you from making bad choices. There are very good people that make very wrong choices and ruin other very good people's lives. So what we've talked about is we need wisdom. Wisdom. But sometimes when our aim is just on trying to make the right choice, I think the underlying assumption is in order for me to get the life that I hope that I want, what I primarily need is good advice. We tend to think at times that what we have in our head determines where we're headed, right? So there's one author that puts it like this. Most people, when they think about their life, they think of it like a banking system, right? If I, withdraw, or if I deposit wisdom in it, And when it comes time to withdraw actions and to do the right thing, I should be able to do the right thing. But how many of y'all know that sometimes there's a gap in between what you know and what you do? Right? There's sometimes when you go to pay for things and you know you don't have any money and your card gets declined. But then there's sometimes when you go to pay for things and you know you have money in the account, but it doesn't go through. There's lots of times where we know, right, I know the right thing to do. It's up here, but I don't do it. We don't do it because at the end of the day, um, we don't think through every decision that we make. There's a lot of decisions that are made instinctively, and what we use our thoughts more for than deciding what we'll do is uh, justifying what it is that we decided that we're already going to do. And so over the course of the past few months, we've talked about wisdom in decision-making, friendships, listening, revenge, conflict, words, laziness, work, money, generosity, anger, and contentment. And as we've gone through this book, and there's been lots of folks that have put in hard work to make sure that you know what God's Word has to say about that, how many of you all remember everything that was said about all those things? I don't. How many of y'all think that you need to remember everything that was said about all those things to make wise decisions? 
I don't. Wisdom is about something more than right thinking. It's not less, but it's more. Look, Proverbs isn't just about making wise choices. It's about transformation. It's about you becoming the kind of person that makes wise choices. Wisdom is something that's foreign to everybody, but it's free to anybody that'll take a hold of it. So that's what I want to spend our time on today. How do I become the kind of person that makes wise choices? And I'm just going to give away the bottom line here. And I think it's this. The way that you become the kind of person that makes wide choices is you have to guard your heart because it's your heart that's your guide. It's not your head that's your guide. It's not what you think. It's not what you know. It's your heart. And in order to do that, there's three things here. The very first point that I'm going to make is this. Uh, Wisdom has to penetrate your heart. Wisdom has to penetrate your heart. Um, There's at least two kinds of medicines or two ways to take it. There's topical medicines that you apply to the point of things that hurt, right? And then there's some that you ingest or inject. The topical ones you apply, my back hurts, I'm getting old, I'm getting ready to go out, I'll put some Bengay on it before I head out of the the door, I put it on the spot that hurts, and it's fine. Most of us think of wisdom like that right? I don't know what to do about dating. Let me go to God's word. Let me get some advice about what I should do about that. I put it on the spot that hurts and it's fine. But the Bible doesn't talk about it like that. It talks about it more like an injection or something that you take inside. I don't just need this on the spot that hurts. I don't just need advice about marriage. I don't just need advice about dating. I don't just need advice about goal setting. I need this wisdom to penetrate and to flow through my whole bloodstream. So the first thing that wisdom has to do, if it's ever going to be beneficial, is it has to penetrate your heart. You, you can't just piece me. Look what he says here in these first three verses. It starts with intake. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's own body. Sometimes translations are helpful because they give us uh, the, the, what, what he's trying to get at. Sometimes they can be unhelpful because we lose some of the force, right? So what we see here is what he's trying to call our attention and our thought to, he's trying to paint this picture of the body. When he says, listen, in the original translation, what he really says is, uh, turn your ear to this truth. When he says don't lose sight of it, what he says is don't take your eyes off of this. So what he's saying is you've really got to pay attention to truth. You've got to pay attention to wisdom. You've got to pay attention to God's word. But it's not just about reception. It's about retaining it. And that's why verse 21 goes on and says this. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. They've got to burrow down. You've got to intake them. You have to get wisdom, not just to your problem places, but wisdom, God's word, has to burrow down into our heart. Now it'll be helpful to explain what the Bible means by heart. When the Bible talks about heart, uh, it doesn't just mean your emotions or your feelings. Your heart is this. Uh, 
It's the center of your attention and commitment. Your heart is the pilot. It's the cockpit. It's what guides you. And nobody's heart is empty. And nobody's heart is silent. Everybody's heart is speaking. Everybody's heart is guiding them to bet their life on something. Right? So what I want us to know, all of us in here, uh, we've bet our life on something. You're already in the game. You've bet your life, your life is fully invested that there is something out there that will save you or complete you. It may be an it, it may be a him or a her, or the possibility of a him or a her. And it's not even just explicit statements, right? So you may be here and say, all right, John, I'm not really sure what I've bet my life on. The best way to know what you've bet your life on is what are your daydreams about? What do you think about when you're bored or when you're burdened? What do you think about when you have nothing else to think about and you need something to save you for your boredom? What do you daydream about? Or when, when you're burdened and frustrated and angry, what do you daydream about that would relieve you from the tension, the burden, the frustration that you have? Those are the things that you've bet your life on. Those are the things that you hope would save you. Those are the things that are going to guide you in how you live. Our hearts all guide us somewhere. And wisdom has to penetrate our hearts because though our hearts are full of things that we want, the testimony of the Bible is that our hearts are fractured. They're conflicted. And where you have conflict, listen, somebody has to come in and speak and resolve that conflict. Yeah, I was reading this book at the uh, end of last year called Making Sense of God where the author just makes this great point and helps us see how... Um, Nobody's just free to live for themselves. Nobody just decides how they'll live. Everybody has hearts that are conflicted. And everybody's culture or place that they grew up in helps to shape how they live. Our culture may tell you to follow your heart and to be free. But our culture is always going to tell you which way to follow your heart. And he brings up this point. In ancient times, right, say that you had this guy that was a warrior. And in his heart, who he was, he was filled with aggression. But he was also filled with same-sex attraction. In the time that he lived in, people would have said, your aggression is great, that's who you are. But your same-sex attraction, not so much. So here's what you need to do. Embrace the aggression, reject the attraction, and we'll accept you. Well, the guy goes on and says, take that same man and put him in 2018. And do you know what will take place? The culture will say, your aggression, that's bad. You've got to fix it. Anger management, you've got to change this. Your same-sex attraction, that's fine. That's who you are. Embrace this one and reject this one, and we'll accept you. Do you see what I mean? We have hearts that are conflicted, 
And everybody's listening to somebody about how it is that we resolve that conflict. So what he's starting off here, and look at these first words, right? It's the first words that come here are, are my son. This is not somebody that's just trying to butt into somebody's life that he doesn't care about. This is a father who is using his authority to take care of somebody that he cares about. This is what God does with us. God comes in and what he's trying to do is he's trying to speak and to help us resolve the conflict of the conflicted loves that we have in our heart. Wisdom is already penetrating everybody's heart. The main question is, who are you listening to? Who has the first and last words in those conversations? So the wisdom of God has to penetrate our hearts. That's what he gets at. And the question is, how? How does that take place? Here's how it takes place. Worship. Worship. That it's not just enough for you to remember what he says as if I just store it in my head, then that's all I need because we've already taught. Your bank can be full of the right things to do, but it doesn't mean that you'll do it. It's got to get down into your heart. And the way that it gets down into our heart is not just remembering, but rejoicing. And the only way that you do that is by as we go to God. God's word, we let him frame the entire conversation. So the first words that some may hear and get exposed to as they hear the message of the Bible, usually the first words that confront people are words of confrontation. You're living some way. You're trying to be the captain of your own soul. And God's word is saying you weren't made for that. You weren't made for you. You were made for him. And it's offensive. And it gets offensive because at the end of the day, what he says is that the problem is not just with the things that you do. The problem is with your heart. And then he goes on and says, you can't change. And it makes folks mad and upset because we desperately want to find something that we can do to be pleasing. And God says this. Though you were made in his image for his glory because of sin, you're actually much worse than you think you are. But that's not his final words, right? His final words are this. Listen, you can't save yourself, and that's some of the best news that you've heard all day because somebody else can, and there's somebody else. Jesus, the person that came to save us, is one that already performed perfectly. So his life here on earth is over and done a perfect record and it's been applied to us so although we're worse than we ever thought that we were the good news is that you're more loved and accepted that, than, than you ever hoped that you can be it's not that our performance doesn't matter it just matters for different reasons and worship is what we do is we have to remember that and the way we remember that y'all is we have to rehearse it. It's not enough for it to be up here. It's got to get down here. And the way that it gets down here is it's got to sink into our soul. That we don't spend our time just saying, I've heard that before. Let me move on to something else. No, no, no. The only way that it really works itself down into our souls uh, is if we hear it again and again and again. 
medicine may be injected and get into our bloodstream and one shot is all that we need, uh, but that's not the way the truth works. Right? Think of any skill that you're trying to learn. Basketball, playing the piano, typing. Read all of the books that you want to. Memorize where all of the keys are on a keyboard, but just because you have it in here, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a great typer. Do you know what you have to do? You have to continue to rehearse those truths, practice those truths, so much so that it's worked its way down into your fingers. So now when you're on the keyboard, it's not, all right, I can really type words when I think real hard. It's no, 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 no. It's become so much a part of me that I don't even have to think. This is what just comes out. This is what takes place in our hearts when we worship, when we continue not just to gather with God's people on Sunday, although that is a major part in the stimulus that helps to get the ball rolling, but through all of our lives when we find ourselves frustrated with the same things that take place over and over again, when we're full of fear and anxiety and turmoil and we start to think in our heads, wait a minute, I don't need some guy or some girl or some job or some compliment to save me from how I feel about myself. I need to be reminded about the truth of God. And it's this lifestyle of worship that changes us. It's got to become a part of you. Wisdom becomes a part of us, not through rehearsal, not through getting stuff in our head, but through worship. That's how it penetrates our heart. If we're ever going to be the kind of people that consistently make wise choices. Wisdom has to penetrate our heart. We've got to get good stuff in. But we don't just have to get good stuff in. We have to keep bad stuff out. Point two, wisdom doesn't just have to penetrate our heart. It has to protect your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Um, Everything that's valuable isn't equally valuable. If your house is burning down, although you have a lot of things that are valuable, when you run after to save things, regardless of how much you like the TV that you have, you're likely going to go and save your child first. As the Bible talks about you and I protecting, you and I being the type of people that consistently make wise choices, it says that you and I need to get wisdom in. But it also says there's something valuable that we have to protect, and it starts off here, and it says, yo, listen, if your heart is the thing that guides you, then you have to protect it. You have to protect it above all. All else. And that word protect, it's something that rubs against the grain of the world that we live in because what you find is that every story that's painted, right, the philosophy of our world from self help books to Disney movies to music and songs, when it talks about the heart, the advice that it gives is follow your heart. But that's kind of redundant because everybody only follows their heart. That everybody follows their heart 100% of the time. You may say, well, John, what about the person who has this thing that they want to do in their heart, 
who they've got a desire for wealth or for a sexual desire or for money or for achievement. And they suppress what they want in their heart for something else. They're following their, their heart. The something else that they suppress these things for are the things that they really want. So if they have these desires, but at the end of the day, they know that if I chase this, I won't get the acceptance of these people. And they decide to suppress it. Do you know what their heart really loves? Acceptance, not those things. Y'all get what I'm saying? So to tell somebody to follow their heart is like instructing somebody to obey the laws of gravity. Um, You actually don't have a choice. Everybody obeys their heart. So when the Bible is going to talk about the heart, God's going to say, all right, wisdom has to come in, but you have to protect your heart. Why do you have to protect it? Two, Two reasons why you would protect something. You only protect something that is both of these things. You only protect something that is both valuable and vulnerable. Right? You only protect those. So uh, my roof is valuable. It keeps rain out. But it's not vulnerable. So I don't protect it. Because I don't think that I wake up in the morning, look over at Chandra and say, hey, sweetheart, somebody stole our roof last night. <laughs> they have to be both of them. But there's certain things that I have, right? You know, I've got rosemary growing in my front yard, and it is vulnerable but it's not valuable. Pastor Mo comes and steals it all the time. (laughs) But I don't have to protect it, right? I'm not getting a watchdog and strapping it to my front yard to give Mo a nice uh, welcome when he comes to steal it because at the end of the day, it's replaceable. But if you plan to get on an airplane this week, even in spite of the government shutdown and people not getting paid what they should, Do you know who you're going to have to pass through? TSA agent. Why? Because people are valuable. Image bearers of God, first and foremost. But to Delta, customers, right? Valuable. When you put them in an airplane, they are vulnerable. It's not like you can be 30,000 feet up in the air and say, man, things are looking real shady. Yeah, I think I'm going to get off at the next stop. Like, you can't just get off. So what they do is they guard it because people are both valuable and vulnerable. And what the Bible's saying is your heart is like that. Your heart is valuable because it directs all of your actions and it determines not just your destiny, but it shapes the decisions that you make have an impact on everybody that you're connected to. But the Bible says to go on ahead and guard your heart as well because it's vulnerable. It's manipulated. Without your awareness. And you find out what we talked about at the start of it. You can't outthink heartfelt decisions. And you know this. I shouldn't envy her looks. But I do. I should be content with my spouse. But I'm not. I, should be ang- I shouldn't be angry with my kids. But I am. I shouldn't be bitter at my friends, but I feel like I just can't help it. I am what I am. So when the Bible tells us to guard our hearts, 
It's trying to help you and I see this, that here's the way that we guard our hearts, according to God's word, is we examine everything. And we are reminded that the world that we live in is not just after our actions, but it's after our loves. That the quickest way to get somebody to do what you want them to do is not to convince them that it's the right thing, but to get them to love that thing. That where your loves go, your actions follow. St. Augustine would say it like this. God made us for himself, and our hearts are completely restless until they find their rest in him. And so what he says is this. uh, What you love, what your heart is after is like weights. And weights move. So he'll say it like this. Everything moves to its proper place. Everything doesn't move downward. It moves to its proper place. Fire moves up. Stones move down. They're acted on by their weights and they seek their proper place. Oil poured on water is drawn up. Water poured on oil sinks. They're acted on by their weights. They seek their place. Things which are not in their intended position are restless. My weight is my love. Wherever I'm carried, it's my love that's carrying me there. His point is, if you're anxious, if you're restless, if you're frustrated, if you're burdened, if you're weighed down, it's not just because you don't know the right thing to do. It's that your loves are disordered. And they're going to be restless until they find their right place. That's why the Bible tells us that we need to guard our hearts. And that would seem like good news unless you've heard everything that I said before that it's not just about what you know, it's in here. And the problem that we run into is that you and I can't guard our heart because what you quickly find out is that you can't guard somebody that doesn't want or need to be guarded. When our hearts want something that's wrong for them, they just testify to the fact that there's something wrong with them. Listen. All the locks in the world will not keep a bad guy out of your house if there is somebody on the inside that will unlock the door. All the structures, systems, the religious do's and don'ts, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to put this block on my computer, I'm going to work, I'm going to do, all of those locks are fine, but they won't work if there's somebody on the inside of the heart that is ready to unlock the door from the inside. That's why the boundaries that we set up, the things that we do in order to help us make the right choices, we work around them, find a way around systems and all of those loopholes. Listen, even somebody that's not a, belie- not a Christian knows this. There's this guy, David Foster Wallace, and at a graduation, what he does is he gives the folks that are getting ready to graduate this speech. And on a part of this speech, he's somebody that's not a Christian, but what he says is this. Unless you worship 
God, and he just says it in the broad sense, everything else will eat you alive. Worship money, you'll never have enough. And even if you have enough, you'll never feel like you have enough. So you'll be restless, anxious, frustrated. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, what he says is you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start to show, you will die a million deaths before death finally plants you. If you worship power, you're always going to feel weak and afraid. And you will need more power over others to keep that fear at bay. If you worship intellect and being smart, you'll always feel dumb and kind of like a fraud, afraid of being found out. If your heart doesn't worship God above all else, you can have all the information about making wise choices, but you'll never be the kind of person that actually does. So what do we do? If our hearts are full, right, we all want things, but it's full of the wrong things, what you find out is that desires, your loves, and we've talked about this before, are never erased, right? It's not just you saying, I don't need to to love that. Desires have to be displaced. They have to be evicted. Somebody else or something else has to move in. And this, this is where the good news comes in, right? Listen, if you think the Bible is a book mainly written about you, then as you read the Bible, do you know what you'll look for? Instructions, things that you should do in order to please God and to do all of that. And the Bible is full of how we please God practically in the way that we live our lives. But if you think that the Bible is primarily a book about you, you'll look for all of the right things to fill your mind, but you'll lack the power to actually do those things. But if you realize that the Bible is not primarily a book about you, It's a book for you, but it's about somebody else. It's about a God who loved you and loved us so much that what he did was he sent his son in order to change our hearts. He sent his son for a group of people who needed heart surgery, but were constantly putting band-aids on things. He sent them to, to say, no, no, listen, your real problem is a lot worse than you thought. And at the end of the day, uh, from what I know of, nobody has ever successfully conducted heart surgery on themselves. Somebody on the outside has to act on our behalf. Our problem is not just bad choices. It's internal corruption. It's a heart that is too willing to unlock the door for bad company. We read it before, but Jeremiah says this. Look. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. That's what we've talked about up until now. But here's the good news. God doesn't fix it with practical steps for you to take. He doesn't just fix it with saying, do this, do this, try harder. 
He doesn't fix it calling on your performance. You know how he fixes it? With a promise. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 says this. Look, I will also sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your iniquities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Do you know how you become the kind of person that consistently makes wise choices? Do you know how your heart is guarded? Not by your work, but by God's work in Jesus. There was a movie that came out a long time ago. John Q, right? I'm going to spoil it for you for those of y'all that haven't seen it. Uh, John Q is the story of a man. This man, he starts to watch his son play baseball one day. He rounds the corner, falls over. So they go over and the first thing that they try to do is they think the biggest problem is the most visible problem. So they run over to him try to wake them up, they can't. So then what they do is they take them to a hospital. The hospital says, um, your son has an enlarged heart. Unless he gets a donor, he's going to die. It's going to cost about 250 grand. So here's what we do. In order to start things off, just to get them on the list, y'all have to raise $75,000. They can't raise it. He goes back, finds out his insurance dropped him. So his son will die unless his son gets a new heart. So this father goes in to the hospital with a gun and holds folks hostage. He schemes, he plans, he works, he does all of this stuff to buy his own strength, try to get his son a new heart. Listen, this is what we do. We find out what's wrong on the inside and by our own strength, we try to fix what's wrong only to find, right? He's frustrated because he finds he's powerless. He's so powerless that he gets to the point where he puts the gun in his mouth and says, I'm going to kill myself so that my son can have my heart. He gets to the point of hopelessness so that suicide is his only option. But the director of this movie was brilliant. So although you and I think of that movie, and even as I started telling this story, right, I start with the story of Denzel and his son. That's not how the movie starts. The movie starts with a scene that seems completely unrelated to what goes on on the baseball field. The movie starts off with a scene of a lady that's driving down the road trying to pass up this 18-wheeler, and she gets hit and she dies. It turns out at the end, it's actually the death of that lady that provides the heart for the new boy. Through this unwilling, unknowing death that happened before the illness began, that son has new life. The way that the Bible starts off, it doesn't start off with you or your sin or what's wrong with us. The Bible doesn't start off with how we've messed up or even the problem that we have. In the book of Ephesians, Paul's going to say, listen, there's a director, and he's writing this story about this lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. So that the opening scenes of this story, of our story, if we can think of it, is God in eternity past 
deciding that his son would die for us in order that you and I could have new hearts, not based on anything we've done, but based completely on his love. When we remember that, do you know what it causes you and I to do? Worship. And do you know what that worship does inside of us? It takes these truths and it sinks it into our heart. It it penetrates into our heart. And it's actually the worship of God that starts to correct our heart. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says this, Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Listen, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, listen, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Proverbs talks about we should guard our hearts, and it's shown as this active command. But in Philippians, it talks about, listen, as we worship, as we take our anxieties, our frustrations, our struggles, our insecurities, that testify to the fact my heart is moving away from God to something else and as we give those things to God and pray with thanksgiving do you know what takes place? Our hearts are guarded because of what Christ has done for us not because of what we've done. Are you in here frustrated and weighed down? You don't have to be. There's somebody that's done all the work to provide you the very thing that you desperately need to be the kind of person that makes wise choices. Wisdom has to penetrate our heart. It penetrates our heart through worship. We need to protect our hearts, but our hearts don't want to be protected. And the good news of the gospel and Christianity is that there is somebody that is willing to replace the hearts and then protect the hearts of the very people that need it most if they'll only acknowledge their frailty and say, I need that help, and this is what God does. And so here's the beautiful part, point three. We get to pour out our hearts. Listen, it starts with inflow, right? We want to protect what comes in. Or we want to get good things in. We want to keep bad stuff out. But then this last part, look at the way that it talks about the body parts, right? To bring that back. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. And don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet and your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your feet away from evil. It talks about now our mouth and our eyes and our feet. Not just about what we take in, but what goes out. The very first thing, our mouth. Tells us not to lie. That's as much of an obligation for those of us who have been changed by God as much as it is an outcome. Do you have a problem with lying? It's likely because your heart is set on something that you feel like you have to be somebody else 
somebody that you're not to really, really get. And that's exhausting. In Jesus, you have a promise from somebody who's already seen the worst about you. You don't have to be anything other than what you already are to get complete acceptance from him. And to the extent that we know that and we love that and believe that, we'll have the power to follow the advice that comes here in this book about how we're to use our words. Do you have a problem with focus? Are you distracted because nothing in front of you seems to satisfy? In Jesus, you don't have to deviate or constantly wander or go from thing to thing. That's exhausting. You can be settled, calm, focused in making decisions about your future because the conversation about love is already settled. So now when it comes to advice about work, you're not anxious about the final product as if it determines your identity, but you're free to give your all, to work hard, to not be lazy, and to leave the results to God. Twenty-seven. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. You lean towards what you love. Do you second guess every decision that you make? Are you overcome with guilt and shame because you think the wrong choices that you made will sabotage your future? Do you not have the courage to fix your gaze straight ahead and be obedient to what God has called you to do because you feel like if I obey and I really live the way that he calls me to live, it'll be a death sentence to my fun, to my enjoyment, to my life, to my purpose. Ah, If your heart is set on God's love and you're grateful for what he's done and that's the thing that you constantly think about, that's the thing that your heart is set on, then you won't just know in your head that God can raise the dead. You'll know it in your heart. It'll be real. And once it's real, you're okay if following what God has called you to do may require the temporary burying of dreams. You're okay with following what God has called you to do Even if as you go, sometimes it means the temporary burying of loved ones. Because you know, not here, but here, that God raises the dead. That He's done it in Christ, and Christ was a front runner so that we would know that He can do it in us as well. And we're reminded that even our missteps... Don't cause God's plan to deviate. Even our missteps, even in the wrong things that we've done, God uses it to create the straightest line for revealing who he is so you and I can be those that are at rest, completely settled in God's love or the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, which makes this whole thing, which is the thread that lets you read this book and say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I would do that. 
Because my identity is not in my work, in my beauty, in money, in security. It's completely in the God who loved himself so much that he gave himself up for me. Then you'll be wise. Not informationally, but instinctively. That with this new heart, new affections are put in, and you're born again, and what that means for those of us that have put our trust in in Christ being born again means this, that, you know, not all at once, but practically it progressively starts to unfold where we say, man, it used to be so much of a struggle for me not to snap back to let my anger be out of control. But ever since I've been rooted and established in the love and the fear of God, there's been times where yo, yo, I just don't do that. I type without thinking because it's worked itself down into my fingers. I love without thinking because it's worked its way down into my heart and my soul. It's foreign to everybody. Nobody comes out of the womb like this. But it's free to anybody. Anybody that would agree with all of this. And would say, all right, I know there's lots of stuff in my past. There's lots of things that work against me, and I don't know how to get there. But God, I know the problem is my heart, and I need you to give me a new one. Will you? And the answer is yes to all those that ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you, um, and we ask that you would do what we can't do for ourselves. Give us new hearts. Make us the kind of people that fear you and love you above all else. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here that feels conflicted, um, that your words of love would settle whatever conflict that they have in their hearts, Father. Uh, Would you start new life here today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.